Hi there, and welcome to the e-commerce marketing 101 podcast brought to you by Dash, the visual content management tool for DC businesses. In this podcast, we'll be chatting with marketers and creatives just like you. We'll cover the campaigns and design methods they've used to grow their DC brand so you can grow yours. I'm your host, Barney. Let's kick off today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to say we're sitting down with Josh Lewis, who's the senior growth and e-commerce manager at health drink brand Moju. So Moju make healthy drinks packed with natural ingredients and nutrition designed to be taken as a shot each morning. In their words, it shouldn't take a lightning bolt to feel the power of nature. With a background that includes starting his own e-commerce business, Fresh Arm University, Josh brings a wealth of experience to the table. He's been at Moju since 2021, and his expertise in brand storytelling paid acquisition and website optimization have been pivotal in steering the brand through a period of rapid growth. Josh, it's great to have you with us. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. You're so welcome. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's been a busy day, a busy time of year, but great to be here and great to be chatting. Well, I personally love Moju. Whenever I order a breakfast from Leon, I always get the ginger shot and that's more times than I would like to admit. For those listeners out there who aren't clear on what Moju do, how would you explain it in a nutshell? We make fresh shots to kickstart your day and power your immunity, your vitality, or your gut health. So ginger shots are our number one product. We were the first people in the UK to make ginger shots. They have a bit of a kick to them, but it's a great boost for your immune system and also kind of just wakes you up and makes you feel good. And then we've got turmeric. We've got two immunity shots. So we've got a hot mango flavor and a multi-berry flavor. And then we've got two gut health shots as well. So they're really a nice way to think about it is an alternative to a vitamin. So it's all fresh, all natural from raw cold pressed ingredients. So it makes you feel like you're doing a bit of good and they taste good at the same time. Nice. I can vouch for that as well. So explain to me, like I'm five, what do you actually do at Moju? Yeah. So I've been at Moju for just about three years now. I joined at a really interesting time. So we were in, I don't even know what number of lockdown it was, but we'd been through that kind of cycle of into lockdowns, out of lockdowns and back in again. Moju started actually as a juice company, then we made shots really in coffee shops, health food shops and supermarkets and online is challenging for drinks in general. And then when you add the fact that it's a chilled drink, it gets infinitely harder. So COVID was a really, really interesting time for us. So I joined to look after the online side of the business. So that's our website, all of our paid acquisition, retention, subscriptions, Amazon as well, anything digital really. And I'm the guy. Nice. That is a lot of hats to be wearing them. Yeah, it's fun. No day is ever the same, which is great. Ecom and DTC in general, there's always so many different things going on, so many things that you can test and try and learn. And that's really what I love about it as well. Cool. Well, thanks for that. We'll get into some of those topics in a bit more detail. But first, I just want to touch briefly on your background. So when you came out of university, you started your own sleepwear business. What inspired that? So... I never really knew what I wanted to do with my life. I studied anthropology at university, which I didn't necessarily love. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I had been in China, I think it was my second year of university, and I bought a pair of pajamas at this market for $2. They were the comfiest thing I ever bought. And a couple of years later, once I graduated, I lost this pair of pajamas and I was probably more upset than I should have been. I then started looking for something to replace them with and realized that there was potentially a gap in the market for some fun, interesting, 
sustainable, affordable sleepwear. So I was looking at companies like Happy Socks and different underwear brands where you could get really fun different patterns. You could get technical fabrics, fun brands to be involved with, but it didn't really exist for sleepwear and pajamas per se. Particularly for men's pajamas, you could get, you know, something like Calvin Klein, which was expensive, but also really bad quality. You could get something novelty, like football or cartoons on stuff, or you're looking at something ridiculously expensive. So I thought there was definitely a niche there for a nice pair of pajamas that wasn't absolutely extortionate, that looks cool, that felt good, and that had quite a fun brand behind it. So that was where it came from. And then I had to figure out how to do it, which was a whole different story. I can imagine. Yeah, that sounds like at least one other separate podcast, if not an entire series. <laughs> well, what are some lessons that you learned from running your own e-commerce business that you've taken to what you're doing currently? The number one thing I would say is failure. It's inevitable and important and not necessarily a bad thing. So if you'd asked me before I started that business, how I would feel about feeling it probably was my biggest fear in my life and then I started doing it and I would feel at something every single day and I think that the world and the econ world is such a fast moving landscape at the moment that what works one day will inevitably not work a few months later so you've got to have that thick skin that it's okay if that happens and you need to look at what you've learned from it and take it and move on and try something else I think that's something that particularly in this post-covid world that we're living in now Everything is uncertain to a certain extent, and you just have to be okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And having the understanding that you're not alone with those things too, I think is really important. As long as you're okay with it and you take something and learn from it and move on, then it's not a bad thing at all. That sounds like a really healthy mindset to have at work, but also just in life in general. So is that the key then that you would say with the mistakes or failing, it's the lessons that you learn from it? which then inform what you do after that. Yeah, a thousand percent. And I think it's very easy to be saying that as well. I think it, it takes quite a lot of time to come to terms with these things too. I definitely wasn't happy with the mistakes that I was making or the things that I perceived to be failures at the time as they were coming. But the more you do it, you're going to learn from it as well. And I think you, you can learn so much from that. And it, it also just helps you have a better mindset to look forward because whatever you're doing, you want to be at the head of the curve and you want to be blazing trails for what you're doing. And if you're afraid that it's not going to work, then you're never going to be the person to get there. Yeah. What advice would you give to maybe someone in a similar role in another brand? They've just launched a campaign or they've tried a new ad channel or something like that and they haven't seen the results that they wanted, but they're not entirely sure what to take from it. What kind of approach would you suggest that they take? Yeah. I mean, I've got quite a good example. So quite early on at Moju, we launched an online taster pack. So it was five free shots. You had to pay for shipping. I think it was like $3.95 for shipping or something. On our website, we had quite a high minimum order value. So we were like, let's try that. Everyone's going to love it. We did this forecast that we were going to have tens of thousands of redemptions. Nobody wanted it. And it was crazy to us because objectively speaking, people were concerned about having to spend so much up front when they hadn't tried the products we were giving them this opportunity to try the product basically for free and nobody wanted it and at that point we could have fallen apart and been really upset with it but we thought okay can we change the messaging so rather than being free with shipping for however much it then became 
free shipping and each shot is the shipping cost divided by the number of shots. And we did it that way. And we played around with messaging four or five different times, really tried to figure out what was going on, what was going wrong. Still didn't work. Okay, at least we tried everything. Move on to the next thing. So I think it's being able to not be so wedded to an idea that it's the only thing you want to be doing and the only thing that you're focusing on. It's being happy to pivot and to change and to test and then also being able to give up because it also takes quite a lot of strength to say, actually, you know what? This hasn't worked. We've put in X amount of resource, X amount of time, amount of money into this. At some point, you've got to pull the plug, which is difficult to do in the moment, but also there's a lot of strength in that at the same time. What was the point with that specific example where you were like, it's time to call it a day? Yeah, so we'd tried, I think, four or five different variations of it and realized we'd been thinking, okay, people want to have a cheaper way to get the product, but maybe this isn't the right way to do it. And so we started to look at other things that we could offer instead and ended up actually making some other stuff clearer on the website that would convince people to spend more to get the bigger packs rather than this free pack. So this was a pack that was basically for free, but instead we made a a starter pack on the website that was all of our larger formats. I mean, we still sell it as one of our best-selling products. It's £35, I think, for the starter pack. And people would buy that rather than the free one that was three or four pounds. So it's not what we would have anticipated, but it got us there and we've ended up with a really good result that we wouldn't have expected otherwise. I see it turned out much better than you would originally have otherwise. So back in 2021, when you first joined, what was one of the first challenges or goals you set about tackling when you came to Moju? Yeah, so like I said before, it was an interesting time. D2C was important for the business, probably more so than it had been in the past because it was COVID. So we had to figure out how to get people to buy a product that they traditionally would buy at a supermarket when they're doing their weekly shop. I like to start with quick wins. I always think that looking at something as this massive, big, scary, holistic thing is never going to help. So definitely started with the small stuff. So it was things like looking at the website and optimizing things that we had there. So I think we had four or 500 subscribers at that point on the website, but to subscribe, it was a completely separate flow. And going through that, it was this multi-step, multi-page flow to get someone to subscribe where if someone wanted to look at the product on the product page, they would have no idea this thing existed. So things like how do we connect these two completely separate flows together so that there's a seamless experience for the customer. So looking at things like that was one of the first things that I did when I started Moju. And then that led into a wider overhaul of the website, I'd say, to make it much more focused on conversions and much more transactional. But the challenge that we have at Mojo as well is that we were promoting a lifestyle as well as promoting a product. And I think that what can be difficult for businesses is getting that balance between the lifestyle side of things and the transactional side of things and, and how to make sure you're showing off the brand in the best way possible, but at the same time, showing off the product as much as you possibly can. So really looking at that, looking at imagery, looking at the whole funnel of how we got people to us and how we got them to then convert. Yeah, um, I think that's probably good advice as well for anyone starting a new job at looking at those quick wins, like how can you add value with what you have already? Yeah, 100% because 
there's always going to be something you can do and something you can test and tweak and play with. So I definitely always suggest to start with the big wins rather than forgetting what you've got. And if you're starting completely from scratch, then think about the things that are going to be a quick win, the things that are going to get your results as quickly as possible, and then build from there. Something that I definitely learned from Sleep Society when I was doing the pajamas is that I wanted everything to be thousand percent perfect before I launched and everything had to be absolutely perfect all the time. But actually, it really doesn't. And that's something that even we see when you're looking at paid content nowadays, that user-generated content does so well. And that's scrappy and it's cheap and anyone can make it on their phone. So you don't need to worry about everything being absolutely perfect, spotless, shiny to begin with. You can start with something and then you can iterate and you can improve. Nice. You mentioned you're trying to sell a product as well as promote a lifestyle. It sounds like that was one of the main challenges that you tried to tackle or that you have tackled since being at Moji. And what was the approach that you've taken to that? Because I feel like sometimes with acquisition efforts, there's a lot of focus on we need them to get the product. Whereas that can sometimes come at the expense of telling the like wider brand stories. So how have you approached that? That's a very good question. And it's definitely something that we're still working on. And it's something that I think... Our strategy has probably developed and changed over the last three years on this as well. So it's definitely challenging with a website in particular, getting that balance. Because what is objectively a branded picture might not sell a product, particularly to someone that doesn't know what the product is. And it might be a really nice looking picture, but it might just not do that. So we've done a lot of work as an entire marketing team on making sure that We've got the right balance of branded and transactional at all touch points. And then from a paid acquisition side of things, I think it's definitely having that mix in terms of styles of imagery. So we'll have stuff that's very product focused, whether it's a product on a colorama with key callouts of what the benefits of the product are. But then we'll also have people holding the product, but we always make sure that when it is a lifestyle image, that the product is clear and clean and it's still clear that you're trying to sell a product at the same time if that makes sense yeah something that we've done more recently is video as well so i did a video shoot beginning of june july where we really did everything we could to show off the product but in a way that people would understand what it is why it's there what it's for with us for shots as well a lot of people aren't familiar with them on our website we only sell dozen bottles so they've got seven shots in the bottle which again you see this big bottle with seven shots inside, it's very easy to think that that's a juice or that it's something else. So for us, it's using all of these different touch points, using imagery and video and GIFs, and we have stop motions of people doing different things. Something that I actually learned from the taster pack that we did of the five shots, people don't read. We had a lot of information on that page with the three shots, and we realized that people just weren't reading it. So Something that we look at now when we're doing anything is whatever's on the screen, if someone looks at that, can they understand who the brand is, what the brand stands for, what the product is, what the problem the product's trying to solve? Like, could you get a clear understanding of that in two or three seconds just by looking at an image? And if you can't, then it doesn't make the cut. And that was an interesting thing to learn. But I think it's been a really good learning and a really important one. So now, we redid our website in June of this year again. And that was a key thing that we looked at. When you land on the homepage, can you get a clear understanding of what this is? 
without necessarily having to read anything. Maybe you can read the headline if you really want to read a few words. But can you get a clear understanding of what something is and what the brand is from a single look? Yeah, that must be a challenge, but I'm sure that's only going to get worse that people's attention span is just going to be like all over the shop. So if you can harness those like visuals better, then it sounds even good said. Yeah, and it's definitely something to work on with our paid ads as well. We know that people have a short attention span, so it's thinking about how we can capture that in the quickest way possible. Well, on paid ads, so I was having a sneak through your meta ad library, and I wondered if you could explain a bit of very top level, how do you think about your paid media acquisition and talk us through the stages that you expect a prospect to go through and how you're using slightly different assets throughout. The way that we look at paid acquisition has really changed, particularly over the last six months for us, I would say. We've actually recently significantly dropped our spend just as a bit of a test because we've been running traffic campaigns and conversion campaigns and all this different stuff. And really, we just wanted to know what was going to be working, particularly now that as a brand, we've got quite a lot of stockists so people are seeing us in real life as well. So the brand awareness is definitely getting there. So we dropped our spend by 50-60% and so far have only seen an increase in efficiency, which has been amazing and probably won't last that long. But it's been a good two to three months now of that, which has been really good. In terms of the creative, I'd say that originally the plan was to use video as more of an upper funnel wider brand awareness type thing but actually we found that it works really well for us as a conversion tool so i definitely think the creative is key we've done a lot in terms of looking at audiences and testing different things and different campaign types and really what it's come down to is that the creative is the only thing that makes a difference for us we worked with an agency a couple of years ago their focus was on audience segmentation and finding the absolute ideal audience for any brand and we found that it just didn't work. So really, creative is where I would put all of my thinking, all of my planning, all of my all of my budget if I was to recommend to someone. But also, it doesn't necessarily have to be high budget. You could have one image and you can reskin it and reuse it in 10 different ways. And you can add animated text over it and you can add callouts and you can add little stickers, whatever you want. And it can really be versatile. And if you've got a video, you can chop bits up and use it as a GIF and put a GIF in a carousel with something else. So I think it's important, but it's not important in the way that you can spend your entire marketing budget on it. What you just said, I think it's really interesting because even though we're in completely different industries like our marketing dash, sometimes when we're thinking about paid ad creatives, it's like, well, we need people get fatigued. We need like completely new assets continuously. But I think that message of just work with what you already have make it look a little bit different. I think that's going to be quite inspiring for other people in e-commerce brands wondering where to get started and thinking that they have to shove a load of money into it. Yeah, I think it's hard as well, particularly in the early stages, to be thinking that you have to be constantly creating. And particularly for the beverage brand, there's only so much you can do that makes sense. If it's a product that you eat or you drink at home and it has a specific occasion, if it's a breakfast product or a lunch product or whatever, you can't then take a picture of that in a concert hall or whatever, you know what I mean? Like you can't superimpose it somewhere that it doesn't make sense for it to be. So you can call out different things and you can have different people using it. And 
like I said before, I think UGC is a great way to do that. But if you've got a really solid image or video of something, play around with what you put over the top of it. If you put different music over the top of it, just do little tweaks and test little things. And then it'll help you for next time as well, because you can see, okay, this is what resonates with people the most. And this is what I should be working on. Yeah. If you had to justify what you just said about spending more effort on creative rather than segmentation, why is it that you think that has proved more successful? I think that meta is always changing and you can believe what they say or not. But from my experience, it's definitely getting better at automatically targeting the right people. So where five years ago, the idea of having an open audience campaign would have been the craziest thing in the world. Now I don't think it is so much. And you can always change your targeting. Once you've got a good image, you don't want to have to reshoot it and do it again. And I think it's easier to tweak that than it is to have to do 10 photo shoots in a month. So is that like you have an asset, you feel like it's gotten saturated with another group of people, with one group of people, but then you just try using that same asset with it another? No, so we generally just don't target a specific group of people. Okay, yeah. So we'll use the asset we'll let it do its thing. We'll see our results. We will occasionally have separate campaigns where we target specific audiences as well. But generally we found that the open thing definitely does work for us. And that's not to say that it work for everyone. I think that depending on your product and your industry, I'm sure there's some things that you wouldn't want to do that with. But we'll keep it running until we start to see fatigue and then we might change a background or change a text or we'll test things with different overlays or different music until we get to a point where we really need to replace it. Okay, cool. You mentioned the video ads, and that's one thing that really stood out to me in Meta Ad Library. As an aside, did you get Nisa Films? Did you work with Nisa Films on it? The episode I just recorded was with Toby from... Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Small World. But anyway, so those in particular, I think they do a really good job of showing what the product is. But because you have such a punchy brand as well, they do tell a little bit about the brand story, like that kind of bold colors, the vitality. What was the behind the scenes like process for producing a video like that? How did you go about briefing that and what was that like? It was a really fun shoot, but it was a lot of work and a lot of thinking beforehand because for us, it was the biggest shoot that we'd done for paid acquisition on Meta. And I wanted to make sure that it was right. So the challenge was really how do we fully show and explain what this product is, who it's for, when they should be drinking it, what the feeling is when you drink it and that was a really really important one is how do you feel particularly for ginger shots where if you say it to someone they might think i don't like ginger and they're really put off by it so we really really wanted to get across the experience of the product and of the brand so we thought about okay who are key customers and we had three different life stage models that we wanted to be in it to show the breadth and the range of who our customer is we wanted it to be in a house so that we could show the lifestyle element angle of it and then we really just thought about who we are and why we exist, which sounds a bit much, but it really was because we just wanted to say, this is Moju. This is how you feel when you take Moju. So come and get it, essentially. And an important thing for us is the ingredients as well. So with that, we had a day in a house with the models and then we had two days in the studio doing ingredient stuff, which was really fun because we wanted to get across the freshness and the strength and the bread and ingredients that we had in all the products. Again, in a slightly more fun and unusual way than you might be used to seeing elsewhere. So there was a lot of thinking that we did with Nusa on how we could 
portray that and different camera styles we could use and angles and whatever else. But yeah, we're really happy with the results of that. Nice. On the ingredients, I remember there's one bit from the video where you're like following in close up as you slice down some ginger and you hear all the like satisfying noise. I really like that bit. Yeah, that was a really cool, I think it was a probe lens that we used. There was another bit where we had a giant pile of ingredients with that lens like going into I mean, if you could see the behind the scenes of this shoot, there was times with me like lying on the floor throwing stuff up into the air <laughs> that was going to fall back in slow motion. But yeah, it was great. You should release a blooper reel. I don't think anyone wants to see that. <laughs> so it sounds like you have had success with that. What was the success that you've seen from those video assets in particular? We launched those in August or September and they've done really well. So at the same time as doing that, we basically, like I said before, we cut our paid acquisition spend by 50, 60%. And we've just seen an increase in efficiency. So our CPAs have dropped massively. We're still getting a really strong number of new customers. And the good thing about them is, again, is that they're versatile. So we did this one day of shots in the house, but we've then split that into five different videos. So we did a couple of different variations of ingredient stuff in the studio school alongside, and then we could chop bits out and put them together and we can reskin things. And we've got gifts that we've cut from the video that we can use as well. So from that three days of shooting, we've probably got about nine months worth of content, which is great. Nice. So Nusa gave you the videos and then you in-house have turned those into different assets and gifts, or was that part of the package? That was part of what we did with them. Okay, cool. Yeah. How do you know when you commission a video shoot like that, how long you expect it to last you? Like you said, it's going to last about nine months. Yeah, that's a good question. Part of it, I think, is the number of assets that you get back, but also looking at the results that you're seeing, I think spend definitely comes into it as well. So if I was reducing our spend, it's going to last us a bit longer because we're not have the same high frequency. But I'm definitely of the mindset that if something's working, don't stop it. I think it's always good to be planning for what's going to be next because the other great thing about working in this industry is that something can work really well one day and then the next day it just stops. And I've definitely had a lot of experience of that as well. So that's why I think it's good to have variety of things so we've got those videos but then we've got some images and if we need to make one image turn into 10 different variations of the same image then we can looking at the content and the results and i guess there's not going to be like a definite answer every shoot's going to be slightly different and the results are always going to change yeah i think if you're spending 500 grand a month then you're going to need a lot of content just by nature of it but if you're not spending an exorbitant amount you can make it last and you can cut with creative ways to make it last for longer if you need it to. Yeah. Let's move on to the website because I know that you had a big role in redesigning Moji's website. Before talking about the results, what were the reasons behind the initial desire to overhaul that site? So it comes back to what I was saying before about attention spans. The website, in my opinion, should be as simple as physically possible. And that's in terms of everything in terms of the design in terms of the tech and the back end and the coding that goes into it and in terms of the journey for the customer i think people need to know who you are what you do what your product is what problem it solves straight away and you can go so crazy with the design and it's very very easy to overthink and overcomplicate things and make something that looks amazing but actually 
just isn't functional. And if you think about websites like Amazon, for example, it's a really ugly website, but you go onto it, you know exactly how to use it, even if you've never used it before. Intuitively, you know what to do. You look for your product, you find your products, you click a single button to buy now, and that's it. And so a big thing for me when I first joined Moju was looking at the website and thinking, actually, how many steps does it take for me to get from the homepage to checking out of the car? And that was something that could really, really easily be cut down. So simplicity, I think, is the key. What were some of the steps then that you did cut out of that checkout journey? So you would click from the homepage. We had a shop now button, which would take you to a collections page. And then from the collections page, it would take you to the product page. And then from the product page, you would choose a quantity and then add that to your car. And then the car would take you to a separate full cart page, which you would then check out from to take you to the checkout. And then you would do that. And it was just too much. And so... Now you go on the homepage, you click shop. Now it takes you straight to our best-selling product page where you can toggle between the product, click add to cart. It's a sliding out cart from the site. You click the checkout and then you're done. Or like I mentioned before with subscriptions, it was a separate subscription flow where you click there and you then choose between two different product types. And then when you get to that, you then choose between the blends of the product and then you choose your volume and then you choose your frequency and then you choose something else, then something else, something else. It's just too much. So that's something that I'm definitely aware of and conscious of when I'm looking at any website because people don't want to spend that long doing anything. So so making it as seamless for them as possible. And then I think the other important thing when looking at the site is making sure that all the key elements are there. And I, for the most recent version of this website, I looked at literally thousands of websites. There's a good database called 1-800-D2C and you can find all the top DTC websites on there. And I went through every single one that they had. I think it was like 50 pages. And I took the note of what they showed for the homepage, every single element each one had. So whether it's a hero image and then a text section, and then they would have reviews and then they'd have a founder story and then they'd have stockists or they'd have FAQs. And I made this massive framework of this is what a good website has in it. And then I would cross-reference that with our website and say, okay, do we tick all of these boxes? And with our hero image, it's our text overlay x number of characters and is it digestible enough do we show customer reviews to build trust and i think that's another big thing that we learned recently reviews are so incredibly important and if you can't build that trust particularly as a new brand you need to do everything you can to prove that you're legit and that you're real because someone coming across a website when they never heard of you before it's a big ask to ask them to spend money and so you want to make that experience as easy as possible for a potential customer So yeah, that was another big thing that I looked at is just making sure that all the information is there. Yeah. I liked what you were saying about the customer reviews on your current website. You've merged that social proof with the introduction to the products as well. Like you see that scrolling banner of different products with their star ratings underneath them, which then take you through to the product page. Thought that was clever. It's interesting you talked about the homepage because looking through it, It clearly is very intentional and considered with what you're saying when. And I was wondering if you could talk us a little bit through that, like what you chose to open with, what you've kind of chosen to close with, everything in between. We start with an image showing all of our products, which was very intentional because a lot of people know us as the Ginger Shop brand, which is a great way to enter into the category and to find out about us. But we do have other products with other benefits as well. So 
we wanted to make sure that was clear. And then we've got our kind of single tagline there over the image. Plus, we say 5,000 plus 5,000 reviews. And that comes back to it. We're not necessarily saying what the reviews are at this point, but we're letting you know that they're there and that it's another reason for you to trust us and trust in the product, I'd say. Then we've got the boosting section. So it says, I want to boost my, and then you can choose energy, immunity, or gut health. And again, it comes back to the fact that people might know us as a ginger shot company, but they don't necessarily know what a ginger shot's for or what it does. So making that as clear and obvious, as intentional as possible was really important. We've then got some press, again, like I said before. And then we've got another text and gift section. So actually here you can see our gifts from Noosa. We've got about 20 of them every time you reload the page, a different GIF will show, which is quite fun. But again, it's a section to give a bit more information about the products themselves. So we talk about the fact that we use only fresh ingredients. We don't have any added sugars or preservatives. So by the time you get to this point in the page, you've seen, okay, you've got seven different shop products. You can see the names of the flavors. You can tell they help you with your energy, your immunity, your gut health. Great. I know what they're for. You see some press. Okay. Some other people have bought these. This seems a little bit more trustworthy. Now you see a bit more information about them. You know, there's a lot of sugars. Okay, great. I'd love to try them. Then you get to reviews. Okay, here's the benefits of the product. So you know what it's for. You know what goes into it. You know how it's made. You know that it's fresh. Now you see how people respond to them. The whole way through, you've got options to click through to buy. And that's another thing that I think is important and can be a really quick win is adding these CTAs at key points. It's great to have a really nice looking page with a lot of good imagery and a lot of information. But if people then have to find the button to take them to a menu and then from a menu to another menu and then they're somewhere else, it's just going to stunt that experience and that flow for them. So we've always got ways to click through straight to direct product pages so that you can purchase straight away. Then we've got a section, we've got some moving things telling you there's no added sugar, real ingredients, just to really reinforce that message. We've then got a bit from our founders to make it a bit more human, a bit more real. Then we focus on subscriptions. It's quite a long page when I talk about it like this, but it really was the result of looking at thousands of other websites. And it was important to me to make sure that you've got to also imagine the majority of people aren't going to scroll the whole way down the page. And tools like Hotjar are great for that and looking at what people are doing, where they're clicking, where they're scrolling. But back to kind of where I started with, people have got a really short attention span. So you have to assume that they're not going to make it down. So you're continuing to build and to reinforce and to add on what you're saying before, but you've got to make sure that what's right at the top in itself is already enough. So we talk about the products and we show them all and we show the reviews at the beginning and then we say a bit more and then we say a bit more and then we say a bit more, but actually everything you need is already in that hero section. You can see that we've got the 5,000 plus reviews. You can see that it's the freshest way to boost your daily nutrition. Okay, you understand what it's for. And you can see that there's multiple products and flavors on offer. And so hopefully that's enough for you to understand it enough to want to find out more at that point. Like even if you don't scroll any further, you've got all the most important information there. It's funny you talk about hot jar reports. Like if you ever want to be humbled as a marketer, I feel like spending a lot of time on the homepage copy and like, oh, what should I put in towards the bottom? And then you check the hot jar scroll reports and like 25% of people make it there and you're like, ugh. What about the product pages then? What makes a good product page? And what have you done at Moju? So I think it really has to be easy to navigate. You've got to have everything that you can above the fold, which has been a big 
challenge and a big thing for us. So I think imagery is obviously a given. It needs to be a clear image. It needs to be absolutely, completely obvious what the product is, what it's for, how to use it. And then really as much information as possible, I would say. So we've got a million different taglines. We've got icons that you hover over and they tell you information about the product, clear product names, and then descriptions and whatever else. I think that reviews on a product page are also obviously really important to make sure that people can find out as much information as they can. I think making it a bit fun as well. Movement is a big thing for us. So whether it's a scrolling banner or some movement in an image, I think, again, it comes back to the clarity of the imagery, whether that's a mock-up or if it's a real image, making sure that it's really clear what it is for us because we're a drinks brand. Ingredients are really key to us to show that off and the benefits of the ingredients and why you should be taking the product. A lot of it always does come down to the why. And again, it's going to be very product and industry specific, but whether it's why this product or why this brand, you've always got a point to prove. You've always got someone that you're trying to convince and you've got to assume that most people coming to your product page are going to be new customers and they're not going to be sure about it. So it's doing everything that you can to really, really show off as much as you can. And something else that has definitely worked well for us is we've got buttons to swap between products quite prominently on the product page. And that was very intentional as well, because just because if somebody lands on our Ginger Shots page and they don't like ginger, I want it to be really easy for them to see that they can go straight to Multiberry if they want to, and that that's available. If they were to have to click from ginger to a menu to go back to a shop page, go to a catalog to something else, they're not going to do that. They're going to say, I don't like ginger and that's it. So it's about showing off your single product on the product page, but also showing off the rest of your range to make sure that people are aware that if something's not quite right, they can still stick with you. What tools are you using to assess the journey and the CRO of your website? So Hotjar, definitely one of them. We also, we don't build individual landing pages per se for our paid acquisition, which I know a lot of brands do, but we direct people to specific product pages based on different ads. So a lot of that, we also speak to our customers, which maybe not the most ethical way of doing it, but we've started to do these customer panels, we call them. So we've done a couple of group sessions where we'll invite our key customers into the office and ask them about everything, about how they discovered the brand, about their experience, the products, their knowledge of the products, how they feel about our emails and our SMSs and everything else, and about their experience with the website and what they know. And then from that, we can actually get a pretty decent understanding of what we're doing well and what we're doing badly. Because if our top subscriber that's placed 150 orders with us doesn't know something, then we know that we're not doing well with that element. We're actually about to do some one-on-one Zoom calls with customers as well, which I'm really excited about because there's just so much that you can learn from the customer. So we definitely look at the data, but we also look at it, I'd say, much more holistically and our customer service as well. So our CX team, which actually we've just started outsourcing to a different company, but looking at our customer interactions and if people are asking a specific question, whether that's about ingredients or about when to drink something or something else, then we know that we're not communicating it well enough on the page. So that's kind of a sign for us to think about it and look at making a change. Yeah. So merging that qualitative and quantitative data together to form a picture. Yeah, 100%. Cool. Okay. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up. I've just got a few other closing questions for you. What piece of advice would you give to 
people in your position in other DTC brands who want to level up their e-commerce efforts, but they're not sure where to start? Start small. Don't look at it as a big, scary task. You can really start with anything, whether that's putting a button somewhere that it wasn't before or something bigger. I think that also you can really, really learn a lot from what other people are doing in the market. You mentioned Facebook ad library at the beginning of the call. I think it's a great resource, not necessarily to copy people, but to see trends. And, and if there's a brand that you know is doing really well and they're using a particular type of asset, then think about what your version of that could be. But really start small and don't be afraid to test different things. And also sometimes the least likely success can be the best thing to do. And so I'd say just try things and keep track of your learnings and know what works and what doesn't so that you can learn in the future, but also just never rest. Like you want to be ahead of the curve and you can't do that by stopping. So just keep trying. Nice. I like that. Talking about the brands, what other DHC brands do you go to for inspiration or you feel like they're doing a particularly good job at their marketing? I'm obsessed with Up. Are they the drink with the flavor? Yeah. Yeah. So they do a really good job of mixing the kind of lifestyle element with the more transactional stuff. And I also think I'm the number one biggest fan in terms of their product as well. So I, I bought my Up bottle like two years ago and it's still the best thing I've ever bought in my life. I really hope they give me some money for seeing all this. But, but they do a really, really good mix of those two elements. And you really get a feel for who they are, what they're trying to show, what they're displaying. Brands like Athletic Greens are obviously always top of my list in terms of inspiration for what we're looking at in terms of our creative and messaging and the way they get across what their product is, what it's for. I think it's really strong. Well, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been great to chat to you. Really enjoyed it. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear. And thank you for all of you either listening or watching at home. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to e-commerce marketing 101, how to grow your DTC brand. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the series for actual tips you can use in your own e-commerce marketing. This podcast series is brought to you by Dash. If you need to get your visuals in front of potential customers faster, or you're sick of spending too much time sending assets to your retail partners, then we might have just what you've been looking for. Take a leap from leading e-commerce brands like Passenger Clothing and check out Dash.app. Just go to Dash.app to take out a free trial and try it for yourself.